Welcome back to season eight of Talking with Traders. This is the fourth year of this podcast since it began in 2020. Once again, IG Markets have come on board as the sponsor of this podcast. We're truly grateful and privileged to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsors. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some of these will be past guests that we invite back onto the podcast, and some will be new guests. The idea is to attract a broad spectrum of different perspectives from players in different areas of the markets. None of what you hear here is financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here to your own trading and investing. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG Markets for sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for your continued support of this podcast. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to season eight of Talking with Traders. This is the beginning of 2024. So it's season eight, very excited to be back with you for a new season of this podcast. And our first guest on this season of the podcast is none other than Narina Fisser, someone who for our South African audience really doesn't need much introduction. She is, I suppose, Mrs. ETF when it comes to exchange-traded funds. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Narina, welcome to Talking with Traders. Hi, Gar. Thanks so much. It's wonderful to be here. I must say it's a, it's a great opportunity via your audience to engage with maybe a slightly different audience that I would normally engage with. So really looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. I know you're in Texas at the moment. So we're <laughs> both, uh, both of us north of the equator, but obviously mostly broadcasting this back to South African audience. So I hope you're having a good time there and surviving the dreadful weather they've been having lately. Well, it sounds like it's quite dreadful in South Africa as well, but for different reasons. So yes, I think we, we're better equipped to deal with a cold here in the Northern Hemisphere. Down South, it sounds like the rain has, has really sort of played havoc in, in South yeah. Africa. So uh, yeah. shout out to the farmers and, and to those that have to live and work outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Narina, we're here to talk about ETFs. Um, it's obviously a, a, a big industry now. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Do you know off the top of your hand, I'm sure you do, what is the total global value of ETFs at the moment that are out there? And then also, what is the total value of listed ETFs in South Africa? Yeah, so, so Garth, end of 2023, uh, it uh, reached around 11.5 trillion US dollars, the global ETF industry. Uh, end of 2021, we were also over the 10 trillion marks then, a mark then with an anus horribilis in 2022. Um, the, the total AUM dropped somewhat, but uh, with the new sort of all-time highs in US markets, obviously part of the powering of that, but also lots of new issues and lots of new money coming into it currently sitting at 11.5 trillion US dollars. Um, as for the South African market, currently sitting at 170 billion rand. So also not too shabby. You know, it's, yeah. it still represents a relatively small part of the South African investment industry, but definitely one of the fastest growing areas in the investment industry, um, especially if you sort of look beyond just maybe exchange traded products, but into more of the, let's call it the rules-based investment models and, and processes and strategies. That's a very, very strongly growing area. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, when is an ETF so-called passive and when is it not and when is active and so on. But, but I think this, this 
premise of rules-based investing is, is an incredibly strong growing area of investment um, strategies and the way that people manage money globally. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get into that a little bit later in the conversation. Um, obviously, this ETF world has evolved significantly over the years, as you've you've mentioned. Um, there are now more and more specialist exposures available, uh, exposure to themes, which I find very interesting. You know, if you don't want to take the uh, the risk on a single stock, you can you can pretty much play any theme globally now. Uh, be it you know healthcare, defense, clean energy. I mean, you, uh, the list is endless. There are there are so many ETFs out there. Obviously, the latest innovation now is this recent um, decision by the the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the states, to approve eleven Bitcoin ETFs, which has been in the making for some time. There's been a couple of false starts with it, but finally last week it's been approved, um, and there's lots of news around that. Is there likely to be a Bitcoin ETF coming to South Africa then on that basis? <laughs> I would like to say absolutely. When? That's a different question altogether. So, um, yes, you're quite right. I think this uh, development, um, it, not just so much in the ETF industry, but I think certainly in the crypto asset industry um, of the approval of the 11 Bitcoin ETFs to list in the US is, a, is, a, is really a major thing. And I think the reason why it is so major is that it is bringing a very different type of investment exposure into mainstream finance. Yes, it's a long time coming, as you say, um, investments in crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, let's uh, stick to Bitcoin for the time being. Um, it's been around for a long time, but the extent to which it's now being brought into this more formalized and regulated investment environment certainly opens up um, you know, lots of new opportunities for traders and investors alike. But I think what's really interesting is when you listen to the likes of, of Larry Fink of Black, BlackRock, for example, and, and the view on the tokenization of all sorts of investment assets. And if you extend this to the idea of investment in things like that, that weren't traditionally easily able to invest in, but by tokenizing them and especially bringing them onto exchanges, you're opening up investment opportunities that have previously not been readily accessible. Think physical infrastructure. We've certainly seen it in, in commodities in South Africa, you know, being this uh, such a strong commodities market per se. Private equity, listed real estate, the list goes on and on. So I do think that we are stepping into almost an era also where the concept of, of asset classes will need some rethinking. And I think some of our traditional characterization and definition of what constitutes a particular asset class might one day be replaced with what is the payoff profile that I get from this investment and how certain is that payoff profile? And yeah, we can have a whole separate conversation just on that. But the reason why I think the Bitcoin ETF approvals is such a big deal is not so much about Bitcoin, but rather about this um, bringing of a very different way of thinking about money and investments into mainstream finance. Okay. All right. Super. And I guess from here, that also then spawns the potential for all sorts of other cryptos. Absolutely. I mean, probably a lot of people are saying Ethereum will be next. And then obviously there's a whole suite of cryptocurrencies. Um, and then I guess active crypto ETFs yeah. after that Absolutely. as well. 
Absolutely. So maybe just coming back to your question, what about in South Africa? Yes, I'm absolutely convinced that we will see it for the simple reason that we're living in such a global investment industry. So clearly the, 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 the final sort of approvals from our own FSCA and then from that the JSE as well will be sort of the, the, the final hurdles that we would overcome. But as it stands, a South African investor can already invest in a Bitcoin ETF, for example, in, in um, through a global trading account. Yeah. Of course, the big news here is that it's the US and the SEC, but we've already had spot Bitcoin ETFs in several other markets in the world as well. Yeah. And, and this time around, we actually had a bit of a forerunner where we actually had derivatives-based or futures-based yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin ETFs before we had the spot. You know, normally yeah. the evolution of markets is that you first have the spot market and yeah. then the derivatives market. Yeah. Um, so yes, the, 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 the directions in which this market is expected to evolve is enormous. Um, the FECA is quite far down the line in terms of its different regulatory frameworks for crypto assets. Um, and I certainly would expect it to, to become available. Um, I don't want to put a time frame on it, but they're very far advanced in terms of their processes. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, super. Let's just chat quickly a bit about the more traditional um, vanilla type of ETFs that we've always become familiar with. I mean, obviously, I suppose for a South African, the most common and oldest one is the Satrix 40. And there's there's stacks of others, of course, that have come along since then. But these are all, you know, the traditional ones. And there's always been this notion that ETFs are a nice diversified product. And it, you know, it's it's this package thing, but it gives you exposure to a bunch of shares within the the ETF and it's diversified. But this is not always the case, is it? I mean, I, I look at a lot of offshore ETFs uh, and some of them are extremely diversified to the point where it's it's probably too diversified. I think of something like the healthcare ETF in the US. It's got something like 200 stocks that, that make up that healthcare ETF, which is just far too many. But then you, you go to the other end of the spectrum where you've got some that are very concentrated. Um, and here I'm thinking of the likes of the XLE, which is the energy ETF in the US. And that one is very heavily weighted towards ExxonMobil. Um, yes. You know, so there you're not actually getting the diversification that you might have thought you were getting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to that extent, I mean, yeah, investors, I guess, need to do their own homework, right, <laughs> to understand what's inside the ETF. Don't just assume that it's diversified. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Garth, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the term WYSIWYG, but WYSIWYG used to say, you know, um, what you see is what you get. But I have rephrased that for the ETF industry and it said it's what's inside is what you get. So absolutely, the investor has to do their homework and actually say what's inside that ETF, because ultimately that is not only just what you're getting the exposure to, but what will determine the performance that you can, can expect. So, so let's maybe take a step back in terms of um, what an ETF is and what people think an ETF is. So what it is, is very much, and it's in the name, it's in the ET part of it, exchange traded fund. Nowhere in that name did it said it will have a basket of shares, it will track an index, it will not be actively managed or any of those things. It is a fund that is exchange traded. So I think a lot of people come into the thinking around ETFs, assuming not only that it will be an index tracking fund, a diversified basket, but also that that um, diversity, that, that index that it tracks is necessarily a market cap weighted or a size based one. So you spoke about Satrix 40, absolutely the oldest and best known one in South Africa. Globally, you would think in terms of things like the S&P 500 or maybe the MSCI World or the FTSE 100 or whatever the case might be. 
that really represented the very first wave of exchange-traded funds, which was just that. Very broad-based, very well-diversified, market-cap-weighted exposures to a diversified basket of shares. That's the other thing. We started out with these things only being equities. Yeah. But it's evolved so significantly since then. And interestingly enough, one of the first non-equity ETFs that we had in South Africa was actually neither an index tracking product, nor was it a diversified basket. It was the new gold, the APSA new gold ETF. Mm. And again, thinking of the history of this, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, the South African economy, the South African investment market, gold obviously is a very important part of that. But here you're starting to get an idea in terms of an exchange-traded fund that still gives you easy access to a physical underlying asset. The asset in this case is now just bars of gold rather than shares in companies. And so when we start looking at these products across different asset classes, we identify that we can now actually buy exposure to assets other than just equities. Mm. So you've got exchange-traded bonds, um, bond funds, you've got listed property, you've got... So, so that next evolution was about opening up the other asset classes, but to access them via your same stockbroking account and trading on the stock exchange as people have traditionally been, been familiar with. Mm. But the third wave of evolution that came, then came was in this, um, how that index is constructed or how it's put together. And you've mentioned a couple of maybe interesting thematic exposures. And yes, that could be highly concentrated or they could be significantly, almost ridiculously diversified and anything in between. But when you start thinking about things like, for example, the different factor-based investment strategies, dividend strategies, for example, that says, I'm not interested in buying the 40 largest shares on the JSE. I want to buy the 30 shares with the highest dividend yields. Or I want to buy the 20 shares that are exhibiting the strongest earnings momentum or whatever that rule must, might be that you de define. Once you have such a rule or set of rules, it gets converted into index rules. The index gets constructed. And now this exchange traded fund, the index tracking fund, just tracks that index. It follows the rules. The rules is really, a, it's like a recipe that you're following. Mm. So that for me was almost like the third evolution that we got in that is, is index strategies other than traditional market cap weighted strategies. But where we find ourselves now is now absolutely into the ET part of it that says it's about my access point. It's about where do I buy these products? And now we see this proliferation of actively managed funds, actively managed exposures, where it really sort of messes with people's minds who think that an ETF necessarily means just a market share weighted or a, or a um, you know, sort of large cap weighted equity index, for example, and says, no, 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 no. This is about a package deal. And inside your package deal, there might just be two things in the package or there might be 200,000 things in the package. Mm -hmm. But you do a single transaction on the stock market and you buy exposure to whatever that underlying strategy must be. And as we get more and more 
sophisticated or complicated in how we put these strategies together, the onus comes more and more onto the investor to say, I actually need to know what I'm getting involved in here. What is it that I'm buying? And therefore, what is my exposure? What are my risks? What are my opportunities? Um, and so, yes, the, the early stage of ETFs were very simple and easy for investors. Where we find ourselves now, you really need to be doing your homework in terms of what you do. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, th- everything you've said there, it, it's, I kind of think it's this ETF world is becoming more complex because there's so much more choice. Uh, and I, I think at a time, many might, might have thought, you know, index passive investing via ETFs, who needs a portfolio manager? Who needs a wealth manager? Because, you know, democratization of these things, anyone can now just go and buy themselves an index tracking ETF. Who needs the portfolio manager to do that for them? Uh, but but from everything you've said now about the, the the variety of different products, the themes, the complexities of some of these things, actually, you probably need a portfolio manager or a wealth manager more than ever to help yeah. you guide you through this this um, new advanced okay. world of ETFs. Yeah, sure, sure. yeah, God, absolutely. But I want to say yes and no. One could still actually invest very efficiently using a portfolio of very straightforward and simple ETFs, and you're going to be capturing the majority of the the investment opportunity set that's out there. So one doesn't need to go into some of these more obscure or sophisticated products. You can certainly, without the assistance of either a portfolio manager or wealth manager or financial advisor, put together a really well-diversified portfolio using ETFs. And the beauty is that because of the transparency of ETFs, the fact that they fully disclose exactly what they hold every single day, it sounds complex, but actually you know exactly what you've got in, in invested in. I mean, think of Unitrust. You've got no idea what's inside that Unitrust. You yeah. really, I mean, that, that's a lot more complex if you ask me. You're yeah. really just buying hope and trust and wishful thinking of the active manager. Whereas with the ETF, whether they're actively managed or index tracking, you know exactly what's in there. So, so there's a lot that can be done without the, the um, assistance or the influence of a professional, either financial advisor or a portfolio manager. But at the same time, there is a great opportunity set for the professional investors also to say, but you know what, there's a whole range of investment instruments now available to me that can assist me in building much more appropriate and efficient portfolios for my clients using these exchange traded products, exactly because I now have the ability to get access to investment exposures that previously was not easily gotten by. Let's let's stick with the idea of gold. I mean, gold, you could, in the past, you could buy gold mining companies yeah. or you had Kruger ads. Mm. That was your choice sort of in terms of it, you know. Nowadays, you can choose whether you want to be invested in the gold mining company, which is a highly sort of geared exposure to the gold price, or whether you want the physical gold with none of the operational um, risks of running the mining company with, you know, power problems and labor issues and so on and so on. So you can much cleaner and clearer choose the specific exposure that you want to have in terms of this. And I often recommend to to retail investors or individuals who've got both the 
the the appetite and I guess the capacity to do some of their own investments. You know what? Follow the 80-20 principle. Have 80% of your investments exposed to just the boring stuff, the, stu the stuff that's just going to give you the market, the overall performance of the assets. And then reserve some of that for where you are really going. I don't want to use the word play, but where you're going to do your own research. You're going to look at some of the things. You're going to try this one out. You're going to invest some there or whatever. Where not only you then create an opportunity from an investment perspective for yourself, but you're learning through that as well, which is great. Yeah. And, and you're not doing that by betting the house. You're doing that with a relatively small part of your asset base and saying, this is almost like school fees for me. This is about me becoming a better investor, a better trader. And I have these great exchange traded products, these instruments that allow me to sort of test drive some of these ideas. And if you say healthcare to me, should I be invested in healthcare or not? Hell, I don't know. You know, healthcare also comes in many shapes and forms. Understand what's the difference between healthcare innovation and just global healthcare. Where does pharmaceuticals come into it? Am I into, interested in the genomics or the biomechanics or whatever the case might be? So do your homework. Go and see what's in there and then say, okay, which aspect of this is where I want to be invested? And then go and find the ETF that actually gives you that exposure. And yeah, off you yeah, go. Off you go. Right, fantastic. All right, I want to get more into the, the topic we said we would come back to, which was a, more around the active ETFs yes. and um, ETPs, exchange-traded products, and then AMC. Now, what is an AMC? And <laughs> and, and, and how does this thing differ from, from a hedge fund, for example? Oh, so Garth, again, I'm showing my age here. When you say AMC to me, the first thing I remember is those pots that we used to buy in the old days, you know, those pots that you that you cooked your meals in and that, that lasted forever. But <laughs> AMC nowadays is an actively managed certificate. So in the JSE's listing regulations, um, we, after having ETFs, one of the first innovations was an ETN, an exchange-traded note, yeah. which although it sounds a lot like an ETF, is actually quite different because the ETF if is necessarily a physically backed investment. So there's a physical basket of investments that belong to the investor and you are really buying this participatory unit in that fund, much like a unit trust. In fact, most of them are also legally unit trust, CIS yeah. funds. Yeah. But what then also came up is that the ETN is something which can also give an investor exposure to those types of investments, but not an, in terms of ownership of the fund, but as a note, an exchange traded note, which means it is issued off the balance sheet of a bank. So the bank effectively sells you a promise to pay you the performance of the reference asset. I'm going to go back to gold again, gold ETF. Physical bars lying in a vault, you as the investor have got physical ownership of physical gold, a right on those. Gold ETN, you get the performance of the gold price in RAND terms, but you don't actually own the gold. The bank may choose to own that gold in order to hedge its own risk, but they don't have to. They can just use gold futures to make up that promise that they've given you. Right. Fast forward then into the next step where some of these exchange traded notes, the banks then started to introduce that that reference asset can now be an actively managed portfolio. So they allowed portfolio managers to say, I've got this portfolio, we think we've got a great house view, or we've got, you know, sort of unique insight in terms of mid and small caps, or whatever the case might be. We want to just sort of focus on our core strength, which is the management of our portfolio. You, the bank, please give investors exposure or access to us. 
So you might say, well, why don't they just go the unit trust route? Well, it's quite onerous and quite expensive. And you might need quite a big fund before you can actually, before the economies of scale work in terms of a unit trust. But in terms of the of the balance sheet item that actively manage certificate, in other words, allows a relatively smaller portfolio manager to access a whole new range of investors, i.e. those that trade via stockbroking portfolios, mm. people that actually buy, do online share trading, who can now actually buy a unit in that portfolio of these. And that's what an actively managed certificate is. And then we came full circle because the latest one that the JSE then introduced last year was actively managed ETFs. So now we're back to the physically backed instrument. We're back to the unit trust, the, the fund that actually holds those underlying investments. But the underlying investment strategy is no longer an index tracking strategy. It's an actively managed strategy. So it is exactly like the unit trust that you and I are mostly familiar with, an actively managed strategy, but it is now offered on the exchange. So you buy your units via the stock exchange rather than directly from the unit trust manco. So it's moved from, call it OTC market, which is really what the unit trust industry is, onto the exchange with all of those great benefits that listing brings to sort of the safeguarding of investments. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very interesting. So, I mean, it's gone, uh, yeah, <clears throat> a lot more, well, full circle, <laughs> as you said, it's gone yep. full circle. Yep. Um but I'm just thinking now, you know, this this is, is does this sort of start to uh, step on the toes of the hedge fund industry? The fact that you've now able to have these these things listed as, as products on the JSE yeah. or on any exchange for that matter, um, you know. So no, I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, if it were, let's let's just first sort of think just in terms of hedge funds. Their yeah. underlying strategy is already quite different than that of a traditional unit trust. They typically have the ability to short stocks, for example. They can have a long short strategy, whereas your traditional unit trust is a long only strategy. Mm -hmm. And the same would apply in terms of your act actively managed ETFs or even these AMCs, the use of derivatives, the ability to offer a hedge fund type of payoff profile is, is quite limited or quite different. Okay. That doesn't mean that you can't have such a a hedge fund unit trust if i can because you do get a cis in hedge funds there's nothing that stops the the hedge fund manager from offering his hedge fund unit trust also in an etf and an actively managed etf form okay. Okay. So rather than stepping on the toes of the hedge fund manager, I rather think this opens an opportunity for him to say, oh, there's a whole new almost group of potential clients that currently I don't really have good access to. But by listing my strategy on the exchange, suddenly I'm opening it up not just to the man on the street that does online share trading, but to your private client stockbrokers who the majority of the assets for their clients are still managed via the stockbroking portfolio. So if anything, I see this as opportunity rather than threat for whether it's hedge fund manager, whether it is, you know, active managers per se, there's a lot more opportunity for them with this than there is um, sort of threat of extinction. Okay. All right. That's interesting. You, you mentioned something there about shorting and uh, um, hedge funds being able to short and so on. And that's actually led me to, to another question. In the US, there are some very interesting and quite wild ETFs. Um, 
And they've often leveraged ETFs and they also offer inverse ETFs. Now, I mean, some of these leveraged ETFs are the, like, I think of the ones like the ProShares ETFs. Um, mm-hmm. They are two times leveraged or three times leveraged. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they're they quite complicated instruments and they really move around a lot, a hell of a lot of volatility because of the, the, the volatility, uh, the, the, the leverage embedded in these things. And then there's also these inverse ETFs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you typically think of like your, your QQQ, which is the NASDAQ ETF, but then there's an SQQQ, which is the inverse one. So you, if you, if you bearish on the NASDAQ, you want to go short. Well, what you do is you then buy this inverse ETF, you buy the SQQQ. And when the NASDAQ goes down, this thing goes up in price. I've never seen that in the J on the JSE. Um, And why is that? Is there regulation that prohibits us from having it? I've always thought it would be nice to have an inverse uh, Satrix 40 ETF. Yeah, yeah. Garth, you, you're quite right. And it is a regulatory issue. And by the way, it's mostly only the US where you find this even globally. You won't find this this much in Europe or the UK or anywhere else either. So um, it is, again, it's not so much the JSE that doesn't allow it, the FECA doesn't allow it. So we are we can't have inverse geared, leveraged um, sort of products in, in the space. I'm not saying it won't come in future, but certainly the way regulations stand at the moment, not allowed. Um, the the gearing and the leverage, I think, is a particular problem because I think you're right. Not only is the volatility quite extreme, but I think it's quite difficult to get your head around the payoff profile of these investments. And interestingly, also, when you see any negative news flow coming out of the US ETF industry, almost invariably, it sits in this space. And by the way, it's a tiny part of the industry, but it gets a disproportionate amount of airtime because of the problems that it causes. You know, a lot of those ones, for example, have got a daily reset. Yes. So every single day, the performance of the next day comes from a different base or from something different. As a professional investor, I find it difficult to get my head around the payoff profile of those. God forbid a retail investor that wants to enter into this. So I, I'm certainly not a big fan of the geared or the leveraged um, options. The inverse one, I think, is a really interesting one. And why would that be, I think, something that really assists in terms of market functioning and so on? Many of your, not just professional institutional mandates, but also retail mandates don't allow for shorting in portfolios. You can only go long an instrument. So if I have a negative view or if I just want to hedge my portfolio against certain market movements, if I'm not allowed to short, I actually can't exercise that view. Whereas if I can buy, if I can go long and inverse strategy, I get exactly that effect. Let's, Let's use the example of, let's say, for example, that I had a very strong positive view of 10 of the stocks on the JSE and I wanted to build my portfolio 10% each in these 10 stocks that I want. But I'm concerned that the market might be go, you know, that the, the market might fall. And so I want to hedge myself against that. Imagine if I could pair that then with an inverse Satrix 40. Yeah. I, it's not a negative view on Satrix 40. That's no. it's like it's like going short on a future, you know. So so yeah. having almost that derivative, but you're able to do it in a long only portfolio. So I do think that there's there's scope for that. Something which is really interesting in this space in South Africa that I think makes us quite unique, you know, I think we know a lot more about currency than most other people around the world about their own currency. I don't know many markets where they actually show you what the Rand dollar exchange rate is on your headline (laughs) news at night. (laughs) 
But what is really interesting is that we are in getting an increasing range of investment options through exchange traded products on the JSE that actually allow you to invest based on your view of the direction of the RAND. If I expect the RAND to go stronger, I can invest one way. If I expect the RAND to go weaker, I can go another way. FNB has got a great series of ETNs, it's exchange traded notes, and they issue them in what is called a compo and a quanto version. And they've actually got a series of single stock, US, US single stocks in this way. So, for example, that one of them could be um, is Tesla, for example. Mm. So I might say that, you know what, I'm really bullish on Tesla. I think the Tesla share price is going to go up, but I think the dollar is finally going to start weakening dramatically. So I don't want to pay away performance by the rand strengthening against the dollar. So I would then go and buy the quanto version of Tesla, of the Tesla ETN. I get the upside of the Tesla share price in dollars without losing anything on the rand dollar strengthening. Yeah. And we're getting an increasing range of these types of products, which I personally feel goes a long way to increasing the efficiency with which we can manage portfolios, but also allow us to exercise our view. Even as a professional fund manager, I and, and, and financial advisor, I don't necessarily want to impose my view on do I think the RAND is going to strengthen or going to weaken on my clients. I just want to say to them, if you think it's going to strengthen, buy this option. If you think it's going to weaken, buy that option. So I can have a view and then I have the investment instruments through which I can go and exercise that view in my portfolio. Yeah, fantastic. We're getting up to the end of our, our allotted time, Narina. This is a very interesting conversation. Um, but I think we've covered most of what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, just going back to quickly that Bitcoin ETF that's now obviously mm. all the rage and it's all in the news at the moment. I mean, this is the latest evolution of a of a sort of a, of a thematic ETF uh, mm. exposure. Are there any other thematic ETFs on the horizon that you can think of? Or any of these products that AMCs, whatever that yeah. uh, that 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 are sort of being worked away in the background somewhere. Somebody's busy beavering away on the regulation, and the, 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 in order to bring us something new and exciting that we've never be, been seen before in the seen ETF before. space. Um, so I think um, certainly on the on the global front, lots of those. I mean, away. I mean, we've got only t- over ten thousand ETFs also listed globally. So I mean, the, wow. then the list just keeps growing literally on a daily basis. But if I was to think of the South African industry, I think despite the fact that we've now got well over two hundred exchange traded products listed on the JSC, there is still significant scope for a lot more. Um, I think an area we've certainly seen over the last two years significant growth in offshore exposures. And I think that trend we can certainly continue to see. Um, there is just such a demand, not just because people want that offshore exposure, but because the opportunity set is just so much bigger in that other 99.5% of the investment world out yeah. there. So I certainly would expect to see a lot more of that. And I think from a thematic perspective there, what I'm probably missing there is, um, let's before we even go thematic, let's just talk about for a geographic, for example. So we, we've we got a, a relatively limited limited number of country-specific ETFs. We've got them in the developed markets, but in the emerging markets, we've only got China and India. Mm. Um, so, and, and geographic investing has become increasingly difficult in a globalized world. So the, the, the trend globally is rather than focus on country-specific exposures, rather to, um, let's call it thematic exposures, for example, consumer growth in emerging markets, or 
high quality and dividends in emerging markets or minimum volatility in emerging markets or whatever. So that's an area that I think could be really interesting in terms of, of evolution. Um, the active space is without a doubt the area where we'll see where we've seen the biggest growth in the last couple of months. And I think we'll continue to see to see that exactly because of the opportunity set that is now opening up for product providers, for fund managers to offer more innovative products to a broader range of investors. Mm. But then I think the third one that I think is really interesting and that that we've, again, it's just started to take off in South Africa is the focus has been traditionally mostly on equity and commodity exchange traded products. With interest rates being as high as they are globally, we suddenly find that in the income space, in the interest-bearing space, there is much more differentiation coming to the fore. We've already seen two actively managed income ETFs list on the JSE in recent weeks, and there are more coming. And I think this, for me, is a fascinating um, evolution that is coming because we know that when it goes to investor needs, objectives, requirements, a regular income requirement is a very important requirement. How do you meet your clients' needs without incurring a lot of the tax issues or whatever the case might be? Where do you get? Do you only rely on on the interest um, component, or do you also rely on some credit quality? Do you also look at the at the time horizon on the on the on the yield curve, the maturity of it, and so on? So, so bonds, income, interest bearing, I think is a, is it's it's only just starting. And I almost want to say, watch this space. If you think it's it's difficult to to wiggle your way around the equity markets, try the bond market. This yeah. is going to get very interesting, and I think <laughs> this is where. A, a good financial advisor, one who actually is able to match client needs to product rather than just, oh, this is the best performing unit trust over the last 10 years. You really should be invested in that. No, that's not a financial <laughs> advisor. <laughs> Again, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for financial advisors to actually manage clients' money much more efficiently and, and appropriately. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Marina. Well, I'm going to I'm going to bring it to an end there. It's been really good speaking to you. Good catching up again after a very long time, actually. But I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It's been really interesting. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your time in Texas. Thank you. And uh, and hopefully we'll get together at some stage when I'm back in South Africa and you're back in South Africa. Maybe catch up. Sounds great, Garth. Love to do that. And thank you for the opportunity. And I, I really just want to encourage people to 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 open their minds first and foremost, um, almost park those those traditional ideas, the myths maybe that you have around what is an ETF and understand that the world of exchange traded products is opening up opportunities for everyone, investors, product providers, asset managers, professional investors, it's yeah, the, the, the opportunity set is significantly bigger than any threats that it might pose. Fantastic. Thanks, Narina. Thank you. Thanks, Garth. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.